There was an old English Puritan preacher in the mid-1600s in England by the name of John Trapp. An old English Puritan who people loved to hear, very popular with the people. Loved, they loved to hear him and read his writings and hear what he had to say. In fact, Billy Graham's mother-in-law, Ruth Bell, uh, John Trapp was one of her favorite authors from the mid-1600s. And John Trapp used to say concerning prayer, God will not deny a person's request who would go as far as heaven to ask for it. In our passage this morning, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about our asking God for good things. We're going verse by verse through the sermon series entitled Exceed, looking at the Sermon on the Mount and how to live as followers of Jesus, how to live as citizens of the kingdom. And what he tells us is you are to be different. You don't live the way everybody else lives. As a believer in Jesus, you're different. In fact, many of the things you are to do, they are to exceed that of other even religious people. And in the process, Jesus dealt with a lot of controversial topics and a lot of relevant topics to our day. Influence, anger, lust, divorce, prayer, revenge, forgiveness, anxiety, judging others. And this morning we're going to look at a passage in which he talks about know who it is who feeds you. Know who it is who feeds you. Read with me starting in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you if his son asked for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asked for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? My question this morning is, why would Jesus return back to the topic of prayer? He's already talked about it. In the Sermon on the Mount, a couple of weeks ago we looked at, he gave us the model prayer. He told, us, he told us, whenever you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And we went through the model prayer, or some call it the Lord's Prayer. So why would he return back to a topic he's already talked about? It doesn't really make sense. But as you look at this passage, it's really not about prayer. It's about connection. It's about your and my connection with Father God. Now, prayer is the medium, but he's really talking more about our connection with someone who loves us more than a parent loves us. In fact, the passage doesn't even mention prayer. He alludes to it, but he talks about something different. The passage really is more about petition. It's about asking. It's about connection. 
And really, if you dig a little deeper, the passage I just read is more about the character of God than anything else. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him and the character your Father possesses. That's what it's about. Now, so many times whenever I've heard this passage discussed or explained, it's all from the perspective of us asking and seeking and knocking and, and whatever you ask for, you ask and God's going to give it. And, and if you seek Him and if you knock and if you get desperate, God will hear you. And it's not about you or your asking. It's about the character of God. It's really not about us at all. It's, it's about Him. And Jesus is basically saying, no, the heart of the one who feeds you. Now, as you break down this passage, I think it can be summarized in this way. You look at the screen, you'll see it. Our passage can be summarized, three imperatives, that's in verse 7. Grounded by a principle, verse 8. Illustrated by two examples, verses 9 and 10. Connected to a relationship, verse 11. That sounds like a teacher, doesn't it? But that's what the passage is about. So let's look at these. First of all, number one, three imperatives from verse 7. Three imperatives. Now, do you remember how our sermon ended last Sunday? You probably don't. It's been a week. Let me tell you. <laughs> last Sunday, we ended with verse 6. and verse 6, Jesus said a very odd verse. He, he said, be careful not to give to the dogs that which is holy. Throw your pearls before a swine. They will trample them underfoot and attack you. And we're going, that's kind of an odd What's he talking about? It was in the context of judging. And if you remember last Sunday, we closed by saying, he was basically telling us, don't be naive. Because there are people out there who do not value the things of the kingdom. That's how we ended last Sunday. Now, there are some Bible scholars who say, verse 7, which is our first verse today, is at the far end of the spectrum of what he said earlier, of 6. Six is saying there are people who don't value the kingdom. And seven says, but for those of you who value the kingdom, oh, you have the heart of a father who loves you. So the next verse kind of goes all the way to the other end because you do value the kingdom. And listen to what he said. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. You will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. He's kind of using all of our senses. The, the asking is more verbal, and the seeking is, is more of the mental, and the knocking is more of the physical, and he's using all of who we are to approach God in prayer. Petition. Now, let me ask you a question. Is Jesus saying in this passage that the more desperate you get, the more God listens? Every time I've ever heard this sermon preached on, and it's been a lot, that's the point. That's not what he's saying. 
Every time I hear it preached on, I, I hear it uh, kind of like this. Now, ask, that's, that's, well, you just, okay, you ask. That's just a normal request. But seek means you get a little more intense. I'm seeking. I'm not just asking. I'm seeking. I'm getting more intense. And knocking, oh my goodness, I'm so desperate now. I'm knocking on the door of heaven, and I'm wanting God to open up and do something for me. And the more desperate I get, the more God listens to me and will give me what I need. Wrong. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying the more desperate you are, the more God listens. In fact, that would be the opposite of what he already taught in the model prayer. In the model prayer he taught, you're heard with your few words. You're heard. You don't have to go on and on and on and on and on like the Pharisees do. God will hear you. Be concise. Be brief. Let your request be known. So he's not telling us here, get desperate and God will hear you. He appears to be using three different ways to say the same thing. An imperative is a command. And so he uses three imperatives to tell us, ask God. Ask. Let's look at the three words. In the original language, you'll see them on the screen here. The word ask is ateo, seek is zateo, and knock is cruo. So ateo just simply means a verbal request from your mouth. Zateo, we remember we saw that on Easter Sunday when our friend Simon showed up. That was the word he couldn't get out of his head. Zateo, seek first the kingdom of God. And the angel asking, why are you seeking Jesus, uh, the, 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 the living among the dead? And now he uses that word zateo again, seek God. And then knocking, which is a physical knocking, assuming somebody's going to be on the other side of the door. You don't knock if somebody's not there. You may knock at first. If they don't answer within a reasonable time, you go on. You don't knock the whole afternoon. You expect somebody when you knock to respond. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm, I'm not certain there's that much of an increase in intensity with the word usage. All that you need is available to God when you ask and seek and knock. Charles Spurgeon said anybody can do this. It doesn't take much to ask. Doesn't take much to seek or knock. He said anybody can do that. Doesn't matter how smart you are or how intellectual you are. You can ask and seek and knock. Doesn't matter if you're a philosopher or if you're a theologian. It doesn't matter any much about you. Anybody can ask and seek and knock on a door. That's what God has commanded you to do. It's a command. Imperatives. Now, there are two kinds of imperatives, primarily. Uh, one is called an aorist imperative. One is called, uh, called a present imperative. Here's the difference. An aorist imperative means that if it's a command given, it's a one-time command. If I say, somebody shut the door, then somebody will shut the door. It's over. But a present imperative means to keep on doing it. If I were to say, shut the door, and somebody keeps come, going back, get back over and over and over, shutting the door, that's the present imperative. 
And in this passage, Jesus gave us a present imperative. So he's telling us, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. And keep on knocking. There are some of you that have prayed for something for years and years, and, and you're just about ready to give up asking for it. Keep asking. There are some of you who prayed for family members to be saved for years, and you're thinking it's never going to happen, and, you, and you're tempted to give up asking. Keep on asking. That's the command. Keep on asking. I've had people ask me before, Pastor, should I pray for something more than once? If I pray for something and then I turn around and ask God again for it, isn't that showing a lack of faith? Shouldn't I just pray one time and leave it there? And that shows my faith. No, because first of all, Jesus commanded us to keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking. In fact, Jesus himself prayed three times for the same thing in the garden that the cup would pass. It's okay to keep praying. In fact, we're commanded to keep asking, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. But now let's go to number two on your outline, verse eight, grounded by a principle. So those are the three imperatives. What's the principle? Go to verse eight. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Folks, notice what it does not say. It does not say, for everyone who asks receives what he asks for. It doesn't say that. It says receives. It does not say, the one who seeks finds what he's seeking for. It doesn't say that. It just said he finds. And it does not say the one who knocks whatever he's knocking for will be given. It just says it will be opened. So God is not saying every single thing you ask for will be granted. But he is saying every time you ask, you'll get something. It may not be what you ask for. It may be better than what you ask for. So Jesus established a principle for us. Your efforts are not in vain. You are not wasting your time. There have been times, just be honest, whenever you've prayed for something over and over and nothing happens, you think, I'm wasting my time. Not going to happen. It's all in vain. There's no need praying anymore. And God gave you this principle to let you know your efforts are not in vain. You're not wasting your time. Because every time you ask, you will get something. Now, I want you to notice something else here. Notice in verse 8 For everyone who asks receives. Everyone. Notice it does not say Christians. For when Christians ask, they get. No, he didn't say that. He said anybody. Everybody. Lost. Saved. Pagans. Heathen. 
Whoever you are, everybody. He does not say those who go to church or those who are good or those who follow the will of the Father. He says, everybody. So he's not necessarily having a kingdom principle here, but a universal principle. Not necessarily based on persistence, but based on relationship. Today, if there's never been a time you've prayed to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, I, I know that we have people here that's never been a time you've done that. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying there's never been a time you prayed to receive Christ. We're all sinners. So if that person asks today, seeks God, and knocks, what's going to happen? The God of heaven will respond and make you his child. You'll get something. Everyone who asks receives. In the early days of Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, over here not far from us, they, they struggle financially to make it. In fact, DTS had some early 20s and 1930s, they had some really dark times where they're going to be able to keep the doors open. And so they, they were in need of $10,000 in 1925. That was, that was a lot of money, still a lot of money, but I mean it's, it was really a lot then. And they needed $10,000 to keep the doors open. So they all gathered for a prayer meeting. The administrators and the teachers did. They had one particular professor who was an adjunct professor. He would teach from time to time. They wanted him to come on full time. He wouldn't do it. He was pastoring Moody Church in Chicago, and he felt like he needed to stay there, just teach classes from time to time. His name was Harry Ironside. And so there they are, and they're all gathered, and they, they pr they're praying for $10,000 to come in. And Harry Ironside prayed. He said, Dear God, you tell us in your word that you own cattle on a thousand hills in Scripture. Would you sell some of those cows and give them to us? Nobody knew that prayer except the inner circle of those that were praying it. But a few days later, a man came to the seminary and had a check he wanted to donate. And it was for $10,000. And he said, God wanted me to bring this amount and give it to you. And they said, oh, well, thank you, man. That's answered a prayer. He goes, yeah, I just sold some cows, and I thought I'd bring the, <laughs> the money hereby. God knows what we need. Now, I'm, I'm not saying this passage is a name-it-claim-it passage. I'm not saying that. But maybe there are times you don't have because you don't ask. It's very possible that God wants to give you something and you don't ask because the universal principle is everybody who asks receives and everybody who seeks finds and everybody who knocks will be opened. Now go to number three on your outline, verses 9 and 10, illustrated by two examples. So we have three imperatives guided by a principle, and now illustrated by two examples in verses 9 and 10. Here's example number one. Jesus asked a good question. Which one of you parents that are out there, which one of you parents, whenever your child asks for bread, will give him a rock? 
Which one of you? Now think about that. Wouldn't that be something? What kind of dad would I have been when Camden was real little? That was a long time ago. When he was down here, and if he came to me, Daddy, I'm hungry. Okay, I'll go get you something. I go to the kitchen, and I act like I'm getting a loaf of bread out, and I get a rock, and I bring it back to him. Here you go, son. Oh, thanks, Daddy. And he cracks into it, and it's a rock, and his teeth shatters, and he starts crying, and I go, oh, isn't that funny? Lisa, come here. I said, that's hilarious. Who does that? So why do you think God does that? Why do you think your father responds that way in heaven and gives you something bad when you ask for something good? That would be cruel of a parent to do. And then here's the second example. Or which of you parents would Whenever your child asks for fish, give them a snake. Can you picture this? Camden's down here. Daddy, I'm hungry. Okay, hold on a second, son. I got something for you. And I go and act like I'm getting a fish, and I get a snake, and I bring it back to him. Here you go, son. Somebody in the first service says, I know that wouldn't happen. You'd never pick up a snake. They're right. Here, here you go, son. Oh, thanks, Daddy. Ah! And I go, oh, that's the funniest thing you've ever seen. It's always a fish, isn't it? Oh, that's ridiculous. You see, this time, it's not cruel, it's dangerous. So why do you think God does that? If even earthly parents don't do that, How many times, I wonder, have you and I in prayer asked for serpents, not knowing? And the Father doesn't give it to you because He knows it's a serpent. And you get angry because He didn't give it to you. Oh, God, I want that job. I want that job. Lord, if I could just have that job, I want that job so badly. And you don't get it. And you get mad because he didn't give you the job. And that job would have been a serpent to you had he given it to you. You didn't know it. You thought you needed it. But it would have been a snake. Oh, God, I want this person. I want a spouse. I want a spouse. I want this person. I want this girlfriend or boyfriend in my life. Oh, God, would you give me this person? And he doesn't give them to you, and you get angry because it's a serpent. And he knows you don't need a serpent. God will not give his children what's cruel or dangerous. Earthly parents don't do that. God won't either. By the way, bread and fish may sound like an odd example to use, but those were the two primary items of sustenance in Jesus' day. Bread and fish, that's what they ate. In fact, it was only a few chapters later that the very same person who said this provided fish and bread for 5,000 people. 
So he knows what he's talking about. Your father will not give you things you don't need. They're dangerous. Or they're cruel. And then notice last number four, verse 11, connected to a relationship. Illustrated by two examples connected to a relationship. Now, verse 12, 11 here is, is the connection point. It is the clinching statement of the passage. It's the key. So listen carefully. If then you who are evil, imperfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Notice that phrase. How much more? Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? We are sinful. I'm a sinful parent. I know how to give good gifts to my son. I love giving good things to him. And I'm an evil person. Imagine someone who is holy and pure goodness. He'll not give you anything, anything that's harmful to you. He doesn't have to be persuaded to give you good things. He wants to give you good things. St. Augustine said years ago, he's already made you sons and daughters. Why would he not give you other things? You see... This passage is more about him than it is you. It's more about his character and not our character. We get all hung up on the ask, seek, not, oh, I'll get what I, I'll get what I want. No, no, it transcends that. And God is for you. He's on your side. Know who feeds you. Know the character, the heart of the one who feeds you. I want you to notice another thing, verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give? Notice the next two words, good things to those who ask Him. What are good things? What would God consider to be good things to give you? Well, Luke is another gospel writer, records the exact same passage. Listen to what he says. He says, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So Luke says, the best thing God can give you is himself. The gift of himself. And whenever we come to the point of praying to repent of our sins, trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord, He imparts to us the Holy Spirit who is the gift of Himself, which is the greatest gift He could give. And Jeremiah says, 29, not 11, but go down two more verses, 13, whoever seeks for me will find me whenever you seek with all your heart. So the connection to God 
is a vital relationship in this whole passage. Years ago, Harold Salah wrote a book entitled Touching God. In fact, you'll see a picture of the cover of it here, 52 Guidelines for Personal Prayer by Harold Salah. And in this book, he talks about and kind of shows the story of a 12-year-old boy. He's 12 whenever he, he first met, met him in Cambodia by the name of Lim Chiong. Lim was raised in Buddhism. Um, his family were Buddhist, and his, in fact, his uncle was a Buddhist priest. But Lim was always a little leery of Buddhism. He, just, he, he didn't really know who was behind it or if there was anybody out there behind it. And so he would notice how they prayed, and their answer to prayer was they would take this container that had these bamboo slivers in it, and these slivers would each have a number on it, and so they would, they would shake it up and pour it out, and the slivers that came out there would have numbers on them, and so they would align these numbers, and the priest would tell them what's going to happen. And so Lem, as a 12-year-old boy, looked at this and said, I don't know. And so he questioned his uncle. He said, um, have you ever known anything specifically to be answered in prayer? At first, his uncle was shocked by his, his nephew's brashness, and, and he kind of took him back. Well, well, what do you mean? No, you're not to question those things. What do you mean? But then he pressed a little further. He said, but have you, tell me one thing that's ever been answered this way. Can you think of any? And the uncle said, no, I, no, I can't think of anything specifically. But you just have to trust. Lim was then uh, introduced to a Christian missionary who was in Cambodia, as the story relates in the book. And Lim asked him the same question. Sir, has there ever been a prayer request that you've ever had answered specifically? And the missionary said, oh, absolutely. And he begins to enumerate and tell him one after another, after another, the things that happened that God did, how he answered his prayers. And Lim, as a 12-year-old boy, says, I want to follow that God. I want to follow the God who hears me when I pray and can answer. And so Lim became a believer and actually became one of the leaders among Cambodian believers later on because he wanted a God who heard and a God who responds. And folks, ours is the only God who does that. So God desires that we ask, not because he's unaware, or not because he's unconcerned, but the asking is how God trains us and shapes us to be his children. And when we have that vital connection point to the Father, our anxiety leaves. Max Lucado told a story. He had a friend who was a pilot, a major airline, and he said, we were good friends, known, known each other for a long time, and he said, um, I was getting on a flight one time, and I noticed, he's kind of glancing in the cockpit as I'm getting on, and it's him, and so we waved at each other and explained, exchanged pleasantries, and I'm thinking, oh good, my friend's the pilot on this flight. So he said, I go back, and I sit down, and there's a lady sitting beside me, and we exchange pleasantries too, and the plane takes off, and we get airborne, and we're up there at cruising altitude, and all of a sudden, turbulence hits. 
He said, I mean, the plane is bouncing around. He said, I'm a little concerned, and she's real concerned over here. And, and so, we're, you know, we're just a little anxious. And all of a sudden, the pilot, who is my friend, comes on the intercom, and he says, look, I, I know that, that things are rough. I know it, but everything is really going fine. We'll, we'll get out of this turbulence soon, but I promise you everything's going to be fine. And he said, immediately, I relaxed. And the lady didn't. She was still uptight. She was still anxious. She never relaxed until we got out of the turbulence. And he said, I was sitting there, I was thinking, what's the difference? Why did I relax and she didn't? And he said, I, I think it's because I knew the pilot personally. And since I knew the pilot personally, and I knew what he was like, and I knew who he was, if he said everything's going to be fine, I believed him because I know him. And she didn't know him. And so whenever you know the pilot, it makes all the difference. And that's true for us. Whenever you have the connection point to someone you know personally who's the God of the universe, that relationship with Christ, it makes all the difference. And you know, you know, he will never give you a stone or a snake. Lord, I want to thank you today for this passage and what you teach us about yourself. God, sometimes we look at this and we want to learn things about ourselves, but, but God, this, this passage is all about the one who feeds us. And he'll not feed us anything cruel and not anything harmful and so father I pray today that we will have that vital relationship with you that makes that connection and God first and foremost I want to pray for those people in our congregation they don't have that relationship with you they know about you but they don't know you personally because they've never surrendered their life to you never been a time they've prayed with their own lips to receive you as Savior and Lord and ask you to forgive them of their sins and come into their hearts and so God, I pray that will happen today at this invitation. But Lord, I'm also praying for those that do know you that whenever they ask and seek and knock, they'll know the heart of the one to whom they're speaking. And that will give them confidence and they can relax. So Lord, whatever other decision we need to make today, may those be made as well. In Jesus' name, amen.